as a result of that, I think the capitalization for Shopify is insane. It's totally ridiculous. 40 times the current revenue does not make any sense to me whatsoever. Is it possible that Shopify goes down by 70% in the general markets turn now? Of course. Of course. And that may be next year, maybe this year, maybe in two or three years, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to wait until then before I start buying. The, the, the bull case is that, you know, it, the churn doesn't really matter because the bull argument is that the churn doesn't really matter as long as, you know, you have winners that start generating significantly more revenues than the initial cohort of the customers you acquired, right? But I believe that's not really true. Where they are now, they are years ahead of, of almost all the competitors. Welcome to Behind the Idea, the podcast where we discuss investment ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to see what makes great investment analysis work. Seeking Alpha is the leading website for market news and analysis and publishes ideas from investors all around the world. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, and this is a special edition. Mike was on vacation this week, so we scheduled a few interviews to take the place of our usual banter. Specifically, we're revisiting Shopify. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that enables small business owners to set up an online shop, and it's a very successful stock and a very highly valued one, which has attracted attention on both sides of the aisle. Mike and I looked at the company in the bull and bear coverage in a podcast a few weeks ago. We didn't realize the interest that there is in this company, even given that we were aware of some bull and bear topics. So we wanted to revisit it a little bit further. I spoke with three different authors over the past week. On Monday, the 16th, I spoke with From Growth to Value, the representative bull in our first podcast on Shopify, and then later that day with Rami Tarabulsi, who has become a prominent Shopify bear on Seeking Alpha. I then spoke with Jan Barta on Thursday, the 19th, another vocal bear on Shopify. One of the things Mike and I talked about a month ago was that it depends on how you look at a given stock to see what story you'll take from it. I notice often in battleground stocks, for example, that the shorts and the longs are talking right past each other, focused on totally different narratives. They might both be valid narratives, but they're kind of not interacting with one another. Even as each of these guests is speaking about the same facts and stories, they're looking at it in different ways, focused on different aspects, applying different investment styles and outlooks. You'll hear, for example, a lot of pattern matching, but they're totally different patterns. For one, it's a pattern of Amazon. For another, it's a pattern of the dot-com bust. And for another, it's a pattern between Nortel and Research in Motion, also known as BlackBerry. Not sure we'll get to a definitive answer about which pattern you should apply to Shopify on this call. We've reached out to a few other experts on the stock that we may bring on in future podcasts. But in any case, I hope this conversation gives you a diverse and well-rounded look at the company and that you learn something from the differing approaches. We're starting with From Growth to Value, an investor who has a long-term perspective and a lot of patience. He uses a pseudonym on Seeking Alpha, and as you'll hear, it's an apt one for his investing approach. First, disclosures for this interview. From Growth to Value is long Disney, Baozun, Amazon, Broadcom, and of course Shopify. I am long Disney, which comes up in this discussion. Let's get started. So without further ado, From Growth to Value, welcome on the behind the idea. Hello, Daniel. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much. So just even before we get into Shopify, I think a big part of this is about 
investing styles. So could you just give, you know, in the pseudonym you use from growth to value, give us just a sense of what your investing style is. Yeah, well, it's not a coincidence that my name is from growth to value. I look at growth and I look at value, but I think I look at growth stocks because Shopify is a growth stock at a particular manner. Uh, and I, I evolve a bit more into growth than into value as well. So, But I understand both sides. Now, what I do is I look at growth stocks from a value point. Now, that may sound strange if you look at the valuation of Shopify, which we will may come back to. But, but what I mean is my style of investing is actually... Uh, value-like in that sense that I'm essentially a buy-and-hold person. Now, what that means, or investor, and what that means is that even if valuation is very high, and I think the company is great, that I don't look that much at the valuation. For example, Netflix, Amazon, those kind of stocks have always been exceptionally high if you look at it from a value point, I mean, high PE, for example, mm-hmm. high ratios in, in general. But if you look at them over the long term and you see a trend, you see something that is special in a certain company and a certain stock then as well. Uh, I think that valuation doesn't matter that much. I, I still look at the, the value ratios, but in general, I'm... I look at the long term, and long term for me is not three years or five years, but well, actually, decade, at least one decade. But I prefer two decades or even three decades. So that's actually my my investing style for value stocks and for growth stocks. For value stocks as well, I, I will not buy things that I think are in a secular decline. I think about cigarettes or or, or oil. I don't invest in those kind of things because I think. Over the long term, and I'm not saying that those are all bad investments, but for me, I look at the long term and I look at trends for the long term and I don't see those kind of things grow anymore. Yes, maybe with some financial engineering they can do well, but I I invest for the future, for the the far away future, you could say. Therefore, I, I... prefer to pick growth stocks nowadays. Although, for example, I'm quite, I'm quite sure that in 30 years or so, Disney will still be big to name just a value stock. Right. So, so, so is that an end. example for, so is that one example of a value, what you would consider a value stock that you own currently? Or what, what else when you're yeah. talking about value stocks? What, what are your, like, what's the sort of stock that you view as in that bucket? Yeah, well, for example, um, uh, I, I like Disney. I, uh, I'm long Disney as well. I even have it in uh, my daughter's portfolio. My daughter is four, year old, four years old now. Okay. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that she will be very proud when she, well, <laughs> finds out that she's a stockholder of, of Disney. Uh, other stocks that are, um, I used, I, I'm in this, at this moment, uh, Broadcom, for example, was another. But at this moment, I don't like the way they're going. So I will have to revisit my uh, initial evaluation of the company because, well, I don't like the, the recent buyouts or try to buy out Qualcomm first, which I didn't like right. that much. Right. And, well, what they're doing now, MCA, well, right. but that was another one which I liked. Or, well, there are 
there are lots of, uh, I, let's say that I don't look at the traditional value stocks like McDonald's and, and Coca-Cola because I don't see them growing that much. As, there as well, McDonald's, Coca-Cola don't have the secular trends behind them over the long term so with the health which becomes more and more important and people become more aware of it so right okay so and i should add i'm also actually long a small position in disney and i will have to edit the disclosures back in at the beginning of the call but let me move so where does shopify obviously shopify is fast growing but how do you see you're talking about decades so so just give us the sort of outlook for how you see Shopify over time developing as a company and then as an investment because of that? Well, if you look at a long time, you should look at trends in society. So uh, Shopify has a tailwind of a trend. I mean, there has been an investigation by Professor Birchall and um, it was about self-employment in young people age 15 to 24. Now, if you look at the U.S., uh, only... I don't remember, 6% or so was self-employed uh, of that age group, of course. Now, if you look at Europe, which is not seen as that vital, uh, that's about 15%. If you look at South and Middle America, that's, well, 25%, Colombia, even 50%. So what you see is more and more people become self-employed. And, for example, FreshBooks, the... the uh, cloud-based counting company says that uh, the number of self-employed Americans will triple over the next few years already. So if you, if you think, if you see that number on itself, you think that's impossible. Yeah. But if you see that America is actually behind in self-employment, even versus Europe, which is not seen as that vital, well, it's not that unbelievable anymore. So, of course, not every self-employed business will run to Shopify, but I think there is a trend behind that. And I don't think that trend will stop very soon. Um, I referred to in my article to The End of Jobs by uh, Taylor Pearson, and he says, actually, it's a very interesting book. He says that now, well, we all know that uh, our industry has been outsourced, uh, heavy industry then, steel, uh, etc. But yeah, services are outsourced as well. I don't know, but I have used Fiverr, for example. I have contacted several graphic specialists through Fiverr, and and well, they were in Pakistan and uh, and India and, and the Philippines. So our services are outsourced as well. So I think you get a whole bunch, a whole generation actually of young people who see that and who see well, my job isn't that certain anymore. So if it's not certain, why wouldn't I take it in my own hands? Why wouldn't I try it on my own and take advantage of that trend of outsourcing services and, of course, manufacturing? So they start their own business. And I think Shopify is in a great place there. Yeah, well, if you ask me numbers over the long term, well, I will simply not answer because that's just guessing. And that's something that I don't really do because people then only remember the number and not the trend. But actually, over the long term, I see lots and lots and lots of opportunities for, for Shopify. I mean, uh, if, if you talk about Colombia, 50% are self-employment. I mean, there's a huge opportunity there. Will that be now in the first five years? Probably not. Will that be in 15 years? Probably. 
I think. So, well, I, that's actually the long-term trend that I see. Another trend that I see is more and more integration of certain apps or, or tools for uh, Shopify. Of course, you already have fulfillment, but you also have you already have tools for making logos, invoice generators, generates for barcodes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you don't have to be a, gr- a good programmer to be able to set up your own online shop. And there, I think that lots and lots of people will be happy that there is something like Shopify. You also have another trend uh, long-term then, which, well, I, don't, I will not refer to too many books, but The Long Tail by uh, Chris Anderson in 2006 is a great book, which shows actually that, well, the market has changed in that sense. I'm not talking about stock market, but the economic market in that sense that it's not a mass market anymore, but it is a, a market of niches. So it's a whole collection of niches and the market is worldwide now. So if, if I would set up, I don't know, something like a shop which, in, in which uh, very few people are interested here in my community, it can still be a great success because worldwide, maybe people are interested in, I don't know, tattooed potatoes or something like that. And that's some sort of new economy, which is, I think, still in its infancy right now. And that will become bigger and bigger. And I don't think that, let's say, every 50, 60-year-old has already, or 40-year-old even, has adopted that economy yet. But as I see uh, uh, in a young of a lot of people that, uh, a lot of uh, young people that they have adopted that kind of economy. And if they want something very specialized, something of a niche, they find it. And so, I think that Shopify is in the hotspot there. Well, that's what I wanted to ask is because you talk about this trend and so we can, and you you brought up a lot of references to support the trend, but then the question becomes, why is Shopify, I, one name that comes to mind to me as an alternative would be Etsy, which obviously is a little bit more handcraft oriented, but Etsy is a company that would seem to support this sort of do-it-yourself, self-employment sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. You can go on the other end and you can talk about Amazon, which is, of course, a behemoth and could in theory swallow up all retail. There's other companies, there are non-public companies like Uber obviously is sort of the self-employment or Lyft or mm-hmm. TaskRabbit in the US. Um, it, you know, it's, it, you know, even on a very trivial level, Seeking Alpha is obviously a place where people can sort of self-employ to some degree sure. in the sure. in financial analysis. What is it, why, what about Shopify makes you think that they have that they stand out more than some of these other companies or, or in a, there are many more that I haven't mentioned what about Shopify yeah. specifically interesting? I, I think I think that's a great question well let's talk about Etsy and Amazon first Etsy I think as you have already mentioned is really handmade I think that a lot of as I have already mentioned a lot of of users of Shopify will use the trends of outsourcing uh, manufacturing that has, well, been been brought abroad. So a lot of people will use that trend to uh, drop shipping has been a trend for for quite a while now. Now, Shopify is a place where you 
can keep the control. If you then look at, so Etsy, homemade, let's call it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Shopify, well, using the global economy. And then you have Amazon, of course. And Amazon is, of course, um, uh, as as you call it. But I think that the difference between Shopify and Amazon is in Shopify, you keep the control. In Amazon, well, not really. Because uh, what you see is that lots of very successful shops on, on Amazon, let's call it that, are copied by Amazon itself. So actually, you are on a platform which can become your competitor. And of course, they're much bigger and they undercut your price. And they, well, then your shop, you can close it down if, if you... So that's the difference with Amazon, I think. Of course, the other platforms that you that you named are very interesting as well, but they have a, a another profile seeking alpha is specifically for for writing i would call it uh, about stocks and the others as well so i don't think that everybody will go to shopify but i think that retail small retail will be predominantly on uh, shopify they have their own niche they have their own segment of the market i think there so and i don't see any i don't see any competitor which is in their specific segment of the market as good or as big as Shopify. So that was, so let's go to the competition for a second. And uh, when I think of competition in this space, I mean, and maybe this, and maybe you can then kind of explain what I'm missing about Shopify's model in general. Mm -hmm. But to me, Mm -hmm. it sounds, when I think of competition, I just think, what does Shopify do for me? It helps me set up a website and a web store easily. And then, of course, there's going to be help in, you know, I think they do some help in terms of fulfillment as well. And I'm thinking about the fulfillment piece. So, right. So payment. So, okay. So payments, we can do things like PayPal or you can, there are, I could set up a WordPress site and use plugins there or Mm -hmm. I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, what, what, what is it about Shopify that would keep it ahead of these other options or, or would keep it Mike joked about how he used to be in a business school group that was planning to compete with Shopify. And I'm just wondering, to use the cliched terms, what is the moat Shopify has? What is, in your view, what is going to, even if they are the more attractive niche of this trend you're playing in, what's to keep them ahead of potential competitors in the future? Well, first and for all, Mike's idea was already aborted from the start because they would sell for five million dollars. I remember, yeah. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, what what's well? I think I think where they are now, they are years ahead of of almost all the competitors, and you see that in a lot in lots of of uh, markets. Netflix, for example, yeah. People asked, well, there is Hulu, uh, there's big money behind Hulu, um, Disney and NBC and 21st Century and Fox. And, well, they are going to annihilate uh, uh, Netflix. It has not happened. Netflix is still the king in its niche. Well, if you can still call it a niche because it has become so big. And I think that the same thing will happen with with Shopify. You know, I I remember that people said, why would I buy a book online? You know, there are plenty of bookstores. Why would I buy a book on Amazon? That's crazy. I'm not going to give my credit card on that internet, you know? So that 
that's only I think twenty years ago for for even for some people maybe ten years ago. So I think that Shopify is way ahead of, of any competition and it has already such a big integration of all those apps that I talked about. If you want to make and sell your own T-shirts on Shopify, well, they have several apps which can, like Printify, I remember that one, which can print that T-shirt for you. It's all integrated. Whereas in other platforms, well, they are not that far yet. Um, So it's not just a matter of throwing money at it to become as good as the lead husky or the lead uh, dog or the whatever you want to call it, the the first one in a new market. Right. Let's call it that way, or the biggest one, the 800-pound the gorilla. <laughs> right. Okay, okay. So then moving to one of the big parts of a bear case then, whether it's, it's something that Citron brought up in their original piece in October, I believe, it's sort of uh, one of the bears who I'm hoping to get a chance to speak to is Rami Tarabusi, and he brings up just sort of the underlying even if shopify is the 800 pound gorilla as far as helping small businesses sell their wares online ultimately they're still small businesses who have to succeed they're still competing against amazon or against walmart or against the other giants of whatever field they're in and so i guess how do you view things like churn which is a key to any subscription or online platform business and things like the underlying health of the retailers, the, the end, the clients of Shopify, even if Shopify does a great job for their clients, their clients still have to be successful Mm -hmm. in their business. So how do you view those two factors when looking at your thesis? Well, first and for all, there will always be churn because of the nature of the game. I mean, if you set up a mom and pop store, there's a lot of churn there as well, you could call it. There are lots of retail stores uh, which go bankrupt or which have to close the doors because they didn't get successful. But I think that because of the global markets, you can become successful in things you cannot become, well, in your own town. Uh, And that is a difference. And I think that lots of successful entrepreneurs will set up several shops as well. They see what works, they get another idea, set up a new a new shop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is, well, a lot easier than set up a physical new store in which you have to have lots of contracts and people, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, there will be a churn, of course, but as long as, in general, more and more people start using uh, Shopify, there will be no problem. And I think that will be the case. I think there is a huge market out there of people who say, well, I don't, maybe even as, as, as a side hustle, I don't have to earn, uh, let's say, 5000 or 10000 or $15,000 a month. But, well, those $500 well, that's fine for me. That's uh, a bit extra. I can go out eating with my wife or whatever. I think that that is a, a big market as well. And Shopify is certainly the very best for uh, very small entrepreneurs. And even if those small entrepreneurs become bigger, I don't see them plus one million sales. Then. I don't see them change to another platform because they already know Shopify that well. So 
and they will switch to Shopify Plus, which is even more interesting for Shopify again. Right, right. I did, I did notice that, the, and Shopify Plus is essentially just a supersized version of Shopify for the most successful businesses, correct? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. It has to do with the number of items that you can sell, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the service. And it costs more, of course, right, right. <laughs> uh, which is interesting for Shopify. And I think that there as well, they, they have a leverage. I mean, now they're still, well, building their market, call it, but if you look at Amazon, for example, to, to come back to that example again, well, they have introduce something like Amazon Prime. Well, I think that over time, Shopify has the same sort of leverage, not, not, not Prime, of course, but they, I think it's not that difficult to imagine that Shopify says, well, this year we're going to bring up, to raise our prices with uh, 10% or so, and the next year 5%, et cetera, et cetera. I think most people won't mind that much because, well, they they make lots and lots more money than they have to pay. So. Right. So let me go back to the investing style for a second because I think it's, mm -hmm. it is important to, and this is where ultimately I don't think that I, I, I don't want to speak for Mike, but where for somebody like me, it's hard to get on board here. In your article, you said, I'm going to just quote a line and then I want to get some understanding. You said, well, as in life, in investing, not everything comes down to numbers. And yeah. I understand, let's just be lazy and quote Warren Buffett. He said he missed Amazon. He didn't, he didn't understand the value there and regrets. I think he said, has said similar about Google. So there's for sure there's more than one way to look at numbers and more than one framework to have about the numbers. But I do want to push back on that because it does seem to me like ultimately if we're owning a share in a business, at some point, the value that we're, the price that we're paying for the shares has to be rewarded with some value, whether it's earning power, whether it's, you know, dividends paid back. There has to be some sort of, I think, numerical standard. And so I just, I'm just trying to understand how you view that and how you, how you decide Okay, this is a an acceptable price for me, and it, and especially in a case, for example, where Shopify has been a success for you, and it has returned whatever the you know a quite good return over the past year or two. One hundred percent right now. <laughs> okay, so so we've got one hundred percent. So how do you like? How do you, as a portfolio manager, how do you can kind of work that into your where you're comfortable saying, oh, it, it, this is too expensive or this is i'm just holding forever like I, I guess i'm just still still struggling with that that line that not everything comes down to numbers because uh, it seems to me like even if you shouldn't only look at numbers it sort of does seem like it comes down to numbers and so how do you view that or maybe am i misinterpreting what you're saying well i still think it doesn't come down to numbers because well i i completely understand it from my background as a value because i started out as a value investor uh, but then I thought, well, if it would be so simple, I mean, if it would just come down to, let's say, a PE and whatever ratio, well, where's, where's the, the, the value for us and as, as, uh, as small investors? I mean, um, there are lots and lots and lots of computers which can 
do a better job at value investing than we can if it would be that simple. Um, so if you look at stocks like Netflix or Tesla or Amazon or Priceline, which is booking holdings now, they have never, I think, been cheap, but they're great stocks because there are great businesses behind it. So if you look at, if you want to look at the numbers, well, look at the, the revenue growth. Revenue growth is one of the most important things. Look at sales growth. Sales is very important. So, but uh, le- for example, Shopify invests as well. And, and all those companies invest like hell. I mean, Amazon still has a very high PE right now, even if it is a, what, what is it? $850 billion uh, company right now. It's a little it's, smaller, but yeah. It's well, it's somewhere let's, in those let's see. numbers that we cannot imagine, really. Oh, no, you're right. Um, I stand corrected. You were right. Oh, am I right? It's uh, According to our numbers on Seeking Alpha, it's $879 billion market cap. Well, it's even bigger than I thought. Oh. So Amazon is still investing like hell. They invest so much money in, in their own company, and sooner or later, that pays off. Uh, so it's... They have had terrible mistakes. They have made terrible mistakes. I mean, they have bought a number of companies which didn't bring up anything. I mean, not money, not technology, maybe a few people, and that's it. Um, But now, look at it this way, if you want to understand my investing uh, strategy. Amazon was one of the companies which was named in the dot-com bubble, mm-hmm. right? And it, it uh, came into the market with, I think, something like 18 or $19 uh, IPO, right. and it went to 100 Yeah, Then there was a bust, and Amazon went to, I think, 7 or 8 something. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of people already thought, well, you see, it's a fad. It will go away just like the rest. If you, if you look at the real strength of a company, it doesn't, the price doesn't really matter. I mean, do you still have the numbers of Seeking Alpha there? At, at, what is Amazon right now? 1600 or so? 1813, I believe. 1813. Well, um, I mean, if you would have bought it at 100 just before the big drop, would you be crying your heart out right now? I don't think so. I don't think so. And probably you would have averaged down because you know the company. You know that it's a, it's a great business. So you would have maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, paid uh, as your basis maybe $50 or so. So, And that's actually what, what I want to accomplish. Is it possible that Shopify goes down by 70% in the general markets turn now? Of course. Of course, and that may be next year, maybe this year, maybe in two or three years, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to wait until then before I start buying, but because maybe the next market turn down will be in, I don't know, 10 years or so. I'm up already 100%. If it goes down 50%, I'm back at my cost basis, right? So 50% is already quite a lot. So let's so two 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 quick follow ups here. Then first, mm-hmm. revenue mm-hmm. growth. So revenue growth is the key, and I can understand that approach. But 
at some point, the law of large numbers and competition and everything else, revenue growth will eventually yeah. slow. So it, even though it's still quite impressive, last year's revenue growth was 73%, which is a slowdown for them. How do you how do you factor that in that inevitable slowing of revenue growth is that well, where do you expect shopify to and like how do you model that or think about that yeah well i think you should of course look at i don't mind that much if there's a revenue slow down i mean it's completely natural and if there is a sell off because the revenue growth has diminished well i don't care that much i mean 72% come on I think if you want to have a growth company, it should grow its revenue by, let's say, at least at least 20% per year. If it's less, well, I wouldn't call it a real growth company anymore. So that's my threshold. Well, is that an answer to your question? Yeah, that's, that, that's, really, that's actually more precise than I thought you might say. Then the other question is, <laughs> you, you said you don't want to wait for a pullback. You also said you're 100% up. And I guess my question is, from a portfolio management perspective, yeah. do you tend to take profits off the table? Do you tend to average up because you like this? Like what, it, it, maybe let's ignore 10 to for example a second with Shopify, how are you approaching that position? How do you, as the, you know, and it's had a few, it had a pullback this year and it's, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it hasn't been a straight line this year, but how are you looking at the company from a portfolio management perspective? Yeah. So I don't take uh, profits off the table. I never do that. As I said, I buy and I hold. That's it. What I am doing right now as as a general portfolio management strategy now, is I'm building up a bit more cash right now. Okay. So I think the markets is, is quite, quite high, but that doesn't mean that I don't buy anymore. I'm building up more cash. I, I think I, I want to go to, let's say, 10, 12 percent, okay. something like that. That doesn't, and, and yes, I, I do average up. I mean, I have bought more. Shopify, when it went down after the Citron uh, research attack, yeah, I mean, I, I knew the company, I, I know what it stands for, and I, I really, uh, that's maybe something different for me as well, I, I love shorters, I mean, they're my best friends, they always bring down the stocks that I like, so if you look at, shorters are always short-term well, they they, all, they will not short a stock for twenty years or so. So they will, it will always be for short term. So, and in general, mostly short term timers, uh, market timers, will well will not look at the fundamentals. And I look at the fundamentals. I look at the company behind the stock. It's not just a ticker. I mean, it's a company. And I I try to find those three percent of best companies. And then I build up a, a position in that company, in that stock then, of that company over years and years. And I keep buying. I keep averaging up. So, so uh, And that's also the reason why I don't care if it goes down. I'm, I'm quite happy because I, I know the company. I know what it does. And it's not because it slows down a bit. Uh, every company will slow down a bit. I mean... I don't know any company that hasn't slowed down at a certain moment. Of course, if that slowdown is for five years, then there's a problem. But one year or two years, and especially in a general market turn down and a depression, I mean, whatever. 
that's just a good opportunity buy, to buy more. And that's why I'm building up my cash cash uh, position uh, somewhat. So let's so that. So let's go. Maybe my last question then is: Let's mm-hmm. you've mentioned shorts. You mentioned, for example, a twenty percent revenue growth threshold. Let's imagine that. 10 years, you're talking about a decade, and let's say 10 years from now, for whatever reason, the position hasn't worked out. Either it's flat or it wasn't, whatever else. I'm curious what you would think. I tell you that 10 years from now, this hasn't worked. What do like, yeah, this is a long way around saying, what do you view as the risks or what concerns you about this story? What, what would make you think that this story might, why would this story not work in your view? Well, if it wouldn't work, then I think they would have done something wrong. I mean, maybe, for example, as I say, uh, raise prices. Maybe they raise their prices too much or too fast or whatever. Mm-hmm. That could be a reason. And then someone could jump into that hole that they made. But, yeah, for the rest, I don't see that much problems at the horizon. Yeah, of course, there are always day-to-day problems, but... If you look at the fundamental uh, picture, I don't see that much problems coming. I mean, uh, I also uh, value a visionary CEO in a company. And, well, I think uh, Toby Lutke is one of those people. He has a very, it's a very interesting man and, and he has had an interesting life. Uh, was born in Germany and... He started. He left school when he was 16 because he liked computers more than school. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those stories, you know, you know the stories of uh, the others as well, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, or, or Jeff Bezos, or uh, and I think he might be in that category even uh, of visionary leaders. Uh, he, well, he co-founded the company, and but he was, you know. He was the nerd, and then his co-founder, I don't remember the name, he left, and he he had, he had looked for, for an, a CEO from outside, but then he was convinced to be the CEO. I think it was somewhere around 2006 or 2007. And well, he, has, he has grown in, into that role. And if you see long interviews with him, you still see... And he's very nervous at the beginning of an interview, but then once, let's say, 10 minutes or so into the interview, he really becomes the visionary CEO that you want to see in a company that you own stock of. So that's, uh, well, maybe if he would go away, that would be another reason that it could go wrong. Because, well, as you know, a lot of companies depend on founder CEOs, uh, especially younger companies. Mm-hmm. And then they could have, well, if they lose their, well, look at the Starbucks uh, affair with our Schultz in okay. 2007, 8, 9. Right. Or as uh, Apple on a, without Steve Jobs. So founder CEOs are very, often very important for uh, those kind of companies. All right. But but well, just but another aspect that I want to talk about more for uh, from a, a portfolio management uh, point of view. Then suppose that Shopify doesn't work out in ten years or so. Well, it will be a very small position then in my portfolio because it has gone down maybe well, let's call it ninety percent or so, and then it doesn't matter that much anymore because I see my portfolio as a whole, not 
just one or two or five stocks, but as a whole. And I have my series on seeking alpha of potential multi-baggers. Right. Now, if you have a multi-bagger, let's say that Baozun, which is another one of my favorite stocks at this moment, let's say that Baozun is, is a 10-bagger or a 12-bagger or a 20-bagger. Now, that will completely, even if I have lost in Shopify, well, that will mean nothing because I, one of those successful stocks well, just wipes out, I don't know, maybe five or 10 or 20 loses. So right. from a portfolio, uh, point of, portfolio management point of view, even if I have those big loses, and of course I will have them, I know that, like everybody else, who, especially in growth stocks, you have to look at your portfolio as a whole. So even if you have loses, you can have a big, big, big winner, which well wipes out three, four, maybe 10 or 20 or maybe 50 losers. So um, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, companies who have, who have the potential to, well, become multi-baggers. And I think Shopify was the, the first stock that I picked in my series of multi-baggers. And um, I think it's, I still believe that it, it has, it has already gone up 100%. I, I think there's still plenty of room to keep growing if you look at the long term. But for the short term, I, you, will, you will never know. <laughs> right. What, what is the, how many stocks do you tend to hold in your portfolio to kind of achieve that diversification effect? About 20, so 15 to 20. Because if, if it's more, it's difficult to keep track right. completely. If it's less, there's not enough diversification, I think. So um, that's about my number. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Well, great. Well, that was really interesting. I'm not sure that I see the full case, but it's definitely helpful to hear it and definitely helpful to – and I do think there's a lot between the focus on revenue growth and the long-term outlook. I think there's a lot that can be – applicable to other situations. Well, so. well, maybe if I can interrupt you, uh, there, there's one more thing that I have heard, but I'm not sure if there has been some research or so. Um, and maybe that's the reason as well that I tend to be more of a growth stock investor right now. If you look at that, that's what has been sad to me. So I have not read this or whatever. So disclaimer, sure. uh, but I have heard, I have heard that um, people who are more, let's call it left-brained, so more uh, mathematics and uh, logic, et cetera, Mm -hmm. tend to be more value investors, whereas people who have more right-brain skills tend to be more growth investors. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm more of a growth investor. I have become more of a growth investor than a, a value investor as well. So I want just to give this as a, as a thought <laughs> to, to think about. No, I think there's a lot to be said for just in all walks of life, really. But I don't know left brain, right brain, but just that that your outlook as a person and your outlook and the way you think about things applies to how you approach other phases of the world, whether um, this can be Yeah, applied. exactly. It can be applied to things like conflicts. It can be applied to things like investing, just to, to mm-hmm. how you deal with people. Just 
your outlook if you are more skeptical Correct. or more open-minded or whatever else i think it definitely and so yeah so and well and i think that we all have to acknowledge and that's already a very important step i think that we all have our personal biases which right. we have to be aware of because even if you think that you don't have them you have them more than somebody who knows that they have them so um well that's very important in investing uh in the investing world as well, I think, uh, to know what your biases are and to look at them critically, right. even if you can, can't get rid of them. <laughs> no, I, I think, right, and being able to accommodate them. And I think that's what I enjoy about investing is that I don't think that there's more, that there's only one way that works. I think it's, there's probably one way that works well for me there's probably or you know maybe there's more but there's certain things that work well for me there's certain things that will work well for you and for other investors and so it is about finding what is something that you can practice consistently because if you correct try a style but then find that it's uncomfortable and you deviate from it much earlier not before you get to your decade horizon or or before mm-hmm the revenue growth or whatever else that can really throw off. That's, that's where too much activity contrary to what your plan is, is where you can get in trouble. And so, yeah. Yes, indeed. Indeed. That's, that's a very good summary. I have read somewhere, but I don't remember in which book it was that there were about a, a, a bit more than 300 strategies, which work on the stock market. So, wow. well, Choose your pick. <laughs> yeah, that's that's you. One every day. You have one every day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But stick with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's I don't indeed, think... indeed the most important point. Yeah, I don't think you could. I don't think you can change it every day and and succeed. No, not at all. Not at all. Not e- not even every year right. or every decade, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, even then. Yeah. yeah. But okay. Well, great. Thank you so much. I wish you luck with the position. I think it was really interesting, and it is helpful to get that sort of growth mindset something that neither Mike nor I trade very well in that outlook. And so it's helpful to have that. And, you know, we'll, we're hoping to have some bears on as well. And so it'll be interesting to see how they're viewing Shopify and where the, where the sort of points of agreement or disagreement are. I wish you luck in the position and thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with us and with behind the ideas listeners. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to the bears as well, because I think that you often can learn more from people who think differently than you, than you can from people who say the same thing. So (laughs) I always look forward to opposite views. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's Seeking Alpha is founded on that very premise, I think, to some degree. Yeah, Yeah, that's why I like it as as well. (laughs) Okay, great. So... We've gotten a bold case from the author from Growth to Value. The next two interviews are with Bears. First, Rami Tarabulsi joined me on Monday to talk about his thesis. I find his focus on user growth really interesting as a potential catalyst, and I really enjoy the passion with which Rami talks about Shopify's valuation. For disclosures on this segment, Rami is long Wix and short Shop, as mentioned, and is also long Walmart and Canadian Tire. I am long Ford which comes up in this part of the podcast. So here we go. This is the second half of, or potentially more halves, of our look into Shopify. We've 
previously discussed with a, one of the bulls on the story from growth to value. And now I'm joined by Rami Tarabulsi, who has been writing about Shopify for the last few months on Seeking Alpha. He's a CFA, a CEO of a software company, and he's joining us to discuss his position and the his views of Shopify, his short thesis, and kind of break it apart. So just an upfront disclosure here, I have no positions still in Shopify. Rami is short Shopify. And so without further ado, Rami, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Daniel. My pleasure in here. So let's just start with just what brings you to Shopify? You, you've been writing Seeking Alpha for about three or four months, and Shopify has been your primary focus you, you mentioned Wix in the initial article that you wrote about us so that's related but what brings you what put Shopify on your radar either as a consumer or as a investor well that's a very good question before I do that there is something that some of the readers might not know but I actually at one point I was long on Shopify and I made some very good money on it okay. I bought it at an earlier time when it was forty dollars and I closed my position when it was around 60. At that time, I thought that it has exceeded its run already. So I was actually long on it, and I believed in that company at that time quite a lot. And at that time, I stood on the uh, wayside. I didn't do anything about it until I got the opportunity to talk to one of my friends who wanted to build his own e-commerce website. And at that time, I started looking at the platforms that are available at that time, and we compared uh, Shopify against Wix. And that's what prompted me to write that particular article, the first article that I had published on Seeking Alpha. Uh, that was the first time I got into Shopify after my original long position. After that, uh, I looked at Shopify, and I found out actually that it exceeded its run from my perspective, of course, and I thought that it would be a good idea for me to short it. Right. And I shorted it actually before the Citron uh, report came out. Right. And at that time, I continued doing that, but the price went going up and so on. And the more I looked at it, the more I believed in my short position. And that's what prompted me to write some more articles about it at Seeking Alpha. So let's let's go to the Wix versus Shopify comparison, uh, which mm -hmm. is where we started. And you said that, your your idea, you say somewhere in there that your expectation is within 12 months, Wix at the current rate would have a better product, essentially, for potential customers, potential people looking to start their online store. And so before even getting into that, who else is in the picture for you? When you look at Shopify's, one of the big things we were curious about is Shopify's moat or whether or not they have a moat. Who are they competing with, in your view? Who, who is the universe of companies or of competitors that investors should be keeping an eye on? I think that, as you know right now, Shopify is number three in the market after Magento and WooCommerce. WooCommerce and Magento have a bigger market share than Shopify. So contrary to some people's uh, opinion, Shopify is not number one in the market. It's number three in the market. However, what we were looking at at that time, Shop, uh, Woo, WooCommerce was using um, WooCommerce and Magento were freeware products, and we didn't feel comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. So at that time, that's when we looked at Wix, because the original static website that this friend of mine had was a Wix website mm -hmm. at that time. So we looked at the Wix store, and we found out that the Wix store actually provided some very interesting features that Wix had introduced at that time, which is the Wix collections, basically a database structure 
that is a relational database that someone can build on Wix directly through their platform. We compare that against the Shopify liquid operating system or programming language that they had. And we found out at that time that the collections from Wix were much easier and much more flexible than the liquid platform that Shopify provided. And that's what prompted us to use Wix stores versus Shopify because we were able to get it up and running at a much faster rate based on the requirements that he wanted. It was much faster to build compared to the Shopify platform where when we called Shopify about it, they indicated to us that we have to go through a consultant to build it and so on. And we felt that this was not the direction that he wanted to take. Is Liquid the usual starter tool for Shopify? Is that is that common that people will go to Liquid as compared to, I mean, obviously Shopify Plus is meant to be for the higher end, but is that is Liquid typically where people begin their work with Shopify? No, actually, most of the people do not even know that Liquid exists. Most mm-hmm. of the Shopify users don't even know that Liquid exists. You'd only use Liquid if you are one of the partners of Shopify or if you are actually want to extend beyond the basic functionality that Shopify provides. Okay. So it is uh, an advanced feature that actually I would suspect that over 90% of Shopify's clients don't even know that something called Liquid exists. But again, I'm not entirely sure about that particular number. Okay. So so it, so in this specific use case, it was for somebody who was looking to do more than just, who was looking for a base, your, your friend was looking for a base of where to build their business, but then knowing that they would have to go beyond whatever was offered in the portfolio of Shopify's tools or Wix's tools. Is that fair to... That is absolutely correct. He wanted to extend beyond the basic functionality of Wix and Shopify, and we found out that the extension using Wix was an easier way to go compared to the Shopify Liquid platform. Okay, great. And so what makes you confident that Wix, by phrasing it as Wix is not, Wix will catch Shopify in 12 months, and I'm trying to find the exact phrasing that you Yes, that's, uh, that's exactly what I had said in my article. See, uh, if you're looking at the basic functionality from an e-commerce perspective, Shopify is certainly superior to Wix. No doubt about it, and everyone would argue, cannot argue with that. Shopify is certainly designed specifically for e-commerce platforms, whereas Wix is designed for building static websites more than e-commerce dynamic websites. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Having said that, Wix has introduced their web stores recently, I would say within the last year or two years. And since then, they have improved quite a lot. Now, when I think about the introduction of the Wix collections, which is database function, and the availability of many Wix third-party providers, you know, Wix and Shopify, both of them, pride themselves of being a network company where they're bringing in developers and customers together. When I look at that and find out the functionality that the collections is providing compared to the liquid environment that Shopify is providing, I find out that the developers will be building much more functionality on the Wix side than could ever be imagined on the Shopify side. And as a result of that, my expectation is that with the addition of the third-party tools on the Wix platform, it should very soon exceed the functionality that Shopify is currently providing. That was my argument at that point, and that's just based on my, on my technical background, basically. You know, I've got a technical background in addition to a financial background. And looking at both platforms, I found I came to that particular conclusion. 
So in other words, your assessment is while Shopify has more to offer currently, the language or the actual technological infrastructure that Wix offers will be more conducive to new developers coming in and building and developing on that initial base. And that's where Wix will then be able to catch Shopify. That's sort of the analysis you're making, is that? You have expressed it much better than I could ever have hoped for. So thank you, Daniel. I don't know about that. But um, so let me just then ask maybe a two-sided question. On the one side, and I'm just trying to think about this from the bullish perspective for Shopify. On the one side, is it possible that Shopify, I suppose it depends on your assessment of the market size, which is one of the big questions, I think, and we'll get into that some more. But is it possible that Shopify builds enough of a user base on both the developer and customer side to the point where even if Wix offers that, there's such a incumbency to what Shopify offers that it might make that less important? Or do you do you, do you see that as a potential challenge for Wix to come overcome and likewise a challenge to the short thesis that Shopify might entrench themselves for users and for developers? Well, if we're just comparing Wix and Shopify, I would say that Shopify, uh, that Wix has a much bigger advantage than Shopify based on their existing client base, which is over 100 million customers. So Wix currently has over 100 million customers. Only 3 million of them are paying, but the rest of them are receiving promotions from Wix to convert to the paying platform on a regular basis. And eventually, many of them will be converting. And once they convert and start paying the $60, $70 per year or something like this, I think that many of them, if they want to move on and have an e-commerce platform on their website, they would not leave Wix to another platform and they'd be using the existing platform that they would have. Now, will Wix and Shopify be competing with each other directly? I see that they might be, but I think also that they have a marginally different business model. Both of them are network companies, of course, Mm -hmm. bringing the customers and the developers together. But at the same time, the market is a little bit different where uh, Wix looks at web stores and e-commerce in addition to building static websites. But most of the people, I would say over 99% of the people who are using Shopify do not care about building a website per se. They are mostly concerned about creating their own e-commerce website. So I think that the business is a little bit different from that perspective. So if I want to compare Shopify, I wouldn't compare it to Wix per se, but I would compare it to Magento or WeCommerce, which are the leaders in the market right now from a client base and revenue perspective. And so that was going to be where I went next is that if Shopify is number three and so, and Wix is, May, may or may not catch them, but is another player. Who, who is, who owns WooCommerce? Magento is now Adobe just bought, but who is WooCommerce? I know they're... Uh, WooCommerce is open source. Okay. Okay. It's open source. I don't know. Uh, I'm not entirely sure who owns them specifically. I didn't study it extensively to find that out. But as far as I know, it's open source and it works with WordPress quite extensively. Right. As you know, right now, most of the websites are built using Word, WordPress as a number one provider. And all of these sites that are built using WordPress, if they want to build a website, uh, using the uh, free software from WooCommerce would be the practical way for them to go. Now, which one is number one? Is it a giant leapfrog game between Magento and WooCommerce at this point? 
which so that is there a potential i mean obviously there's a potential but is that something you size in your assessment from the short side the potential that shopify might take share from those leading firms if for let's you know for example maybe adobe is not able to integrate magento well and that slows them down woocommerce if it's open source maybe it doesn't have the same focus that something like shopify or wix would have is that something you consider when you're that oh absolutely absolutely i would consider it but is it a big possibility i think that shopify has has much more serious matters to think about versus taking more market share from WooCommerce and Magento and the other smaller players that are out there. Okay, so let's go into, because I think some of the most more interesting parts here, I mean, the analysis is interesting, but what I really enjoy is thinking about the underlying market. And a lot of the points I think you make in your articles are essentially that Shopify serves small retail companies and there's probably a trend. I, I don't know if you make this point, but there's probably a trend that small retail companies will more and more digitalize their business. But at the same time, if you're betting on e-commerce, you're looking at giants like Amazon, like Alibaba, like Walmart, etc. And so yeah. my question is, your premise, I think, if I understand it correctly, is that small companies won't be able to keep up with these big names. But isn't that the essentially the service that Shopify provides? Like, isn't there a little bit in, by arguing that these companies won't be able to gain share is you're, you're essentially saying that Shopify is not good enough to overcome this, but is there, my, my understanding is that that's what Shopify is there for is to say, instead of we give you the tools to sort of compete in this environment. Do you see that playing out or, I mean, what makes you think that that's not, not the real story? Well, there are, uh, if we're talking right now about, um, let's leave Shopify for the time being, sure. and let's talk about the market share of the e-commerce. So right now, let's assume that we have two camps. One of them is the large giants that are out there, which could be large brick-and-mortar firms like Best Buy, like Canadian Tire, like Walmart, or could be pure e-commerce uh, players like Alibaba, JD.com, and Amazon. So let's assume right now that there is this is one big camp, and the other camp is the small players who are depending on the drop shipping model, which Shopify very much promotes. So if we take these two camps, I would say that the first one, which are the giants, will be winning big time. And the reason for that is a fewfold. One of them is the pricing. Just by economies of scale and the power that they have for purchasing, they can get things at a much lower rate. And of course, there are economies of scale related to the operations as well that help them lowering their cost as much as possible. But that is not the only part. The more important part is the reputation and the service. So if I'm going to buy something, regardless of what it is, of course, if it's a low price, for example, a lady's bag and I'm buying a Louis Vuitton for $10, which is a broke, uh, which is a shot bag for whatever, maybe I can buy it from uh, an online store, which uh, a small online store, not worrying that maybe I will not be able to return it or it will be a bad quality because, again, the price is significantly low. But in general, if I really need some, and that will be impulsive buying, but if I really need something and that's important to me, I will certainly make sure that I buy it from a big store, a big one of the 
first category, which are the giants. And the reason for that is that the return policy, first of all, is more solid. The likelihood of getting a higher quality is better. And also the delivery time. With Amazon, you know, you're delivering things within two days or one day. For Walmart, you go and pick it up from the store right away within the same day. So these are features that you can get from the bigger giants that you cannot get from the smaller giants, from the smaller players. So that's basically what I was thinking of. So the smaller players really, they, their only choice of success is when they sell things that are extremely low and they rely on impulsive shopping through the ads that they are doing and so on. The other concern that I have is that this takes a long, lot of time and effort from these small players. So although their cost for Shopify might be between $30 to $100, plus they pay for the ads and so on, so maybe they're paying two, $300 per month, to get to the time that they are spending, which let's say even if it is two hours per day, you're talking here about 600 hours per year, 600 hours per year, times $15 per hour, which is a minimum wage in Canada, for example, you're talking here about $9,000. So unless they get a profit of $9,000, they should not be in business, period. Not, that's all. Now, if we take the margin that they have as being 10%, to get $9,000 of profit, they have to sell things for $90,000. $90,000 is not a lot of money. But the likelihood of selling things for $90,000 by spending two hours a day, just two hours a day, is a very remote possibility. And that's why I believe that these smaller players will be going out of business sooner than anyone could ever imagine. That's my expectation. And the other thing you have to remember as well, that forget about the online and forget about the fact that they have no, uh, they have no commitment, a big commitment to that particular business. Most businesses that start they end up with failure within the first three to four years. I'm talking here about over 90% of businesses that start, they end up with failure within three to four years. I think that the online stores that are starting with very minimum commitment, you're talking here about $30 per month and some time that they're spending, that minimum commitment will get them to get out of business even faster than the other businesses that are regular legitimate businesses. Uh, the uh, final thing I'd like to mention is the drop shipping model, which I personally believe will not be surviving with these small players because the bigger players like Alibaba, for example, will be eating them alive because of the economies of scale and the lower cost that they are providing. So let me try to push back and just test a couple things here. First of all, there's what do you make of the potential we're not there yet. And I would be skeptical, for example, from a U.S. context, I would be skeptical of regulatory-based theses right now, given the current climate. But we are at a point where there is an incredible agglomeration of market share. And you mm-hmm. have companies like Amazon who have a huge share of e-commerce. You have companies, Alibaba, I don't think is so present in the U.S., but you have companies that have increasingly, which on the one hand plays to your thesis, on the other hand, there's a certain point where it would seem that this wouldn't, at some point, something might break and there may be more support for smaller businesses, for companies that have a, that, that are the sort of Shopify customers. So that, I'm curious about what you think about that potential. That's, uh, that's a very good point, actually, that you're mentioning, which is, uh, as I understand it, your question is, is there a possibility for regulators to avoid having the creation of some sort of monopoly or oligopoly happening 
in the e-commerce world, they'll be promoting the businesses of smaller players versus the larger players. Is that your question? It's essentially, at some point, yeah. that this, yeah, essentially, that's the inverse of the the big players continuing to gather power. Is that at some point people yeah. get in the? Um, I'm not entirely sure if the regulators would be involved in something like this, unless one of the players takes a monopolistic position. But as long as there are other competitors to that particular player, I'm not entirely sure if the regulators will be heavily involved in that. Right now in China, I would say over 60 or 70 percent of the market is controlled by Alibaba at this point. And the government, which is a communist government, as we know, the kind of control that they have, so far they have not been involved in something like this. And the primary reason for that is that there is another competitor, which is JD.com, that's coming up and eating some of Alibaba's shares. So if I look at a government like China, who is very much a controlling government, nothing against the government of China. I just came back from China, and I love the country. But they are very much of a controlling government, and they have not done anything about that particular monopolistic environment. Do you really expect that a government like Canada or the United States which is more of a free market economy, will be involved if a company has less than 50% of the market share. So right now, Amazon has less than 50% of the market share in North America, in U.S. specifically. And so far, I really doubt that unless Amazon gains maybe 70 or 80% of the market share, I don't think that the government would be involved in something like this. And right now, when I think about it, uh, for example, uh, Walmart is growing by 40%. They are planning at least to grow by 40% per year in their uh, e-commerce world. So where will they get the market share? They'll certainly get part of it from Amazon. So that's what their plan is anyway. And there are other big players who are coming into the market. For example, Canadian Tire, the Canadian company, the big Canadian retailer right now, is coming into e-commerce in big force. Best Buy is another one. eBay is another big company. So all these players are going together and they're competing with each other. I doubt that the government will be involved in putting some regulation that will hinder them in favor of the smaller players, small mom and pop shops that are operating from their basements. I really doubt that this would happen anytime soon. So you're probably that I think that's the likelier case for sure. But the so then my other thought is from a market perspective, for example, one of the Earlier things that Citron brought up, Citron, I think, came out short Shopify actually last October before then again, like you mentioned, releasing a report in March. He mentioned the, the the presence of churn, and churn is something that if for any Seeking Alpha, we know about the, the importance of churn in our subscription business. Any e-commerce or, or online business, subscription business is trying to fight churn. What I'm curious about is when you bring up churn to bowls they'll say look that's fine they, they they will take the other side of what you said they'll say most businesses close in three to four years but as long i think the implication is as long as you have enough businesses that are successful and that are growing if if one out of five just using extreme number one out of five businesses is successful but it's really successful it doesn't that's more or less the same to me as three out of five being successful on a lesser degree and so i just wonder if Obviously, Shopify is growing revenue. They're obviously having some success. And so I'm just wondering if you, is there, if the play is to become the biggest, the go-to place, if I want to, if 
I want to start a business online or move my business online, I think Shopify. And they, if enough businesses kind of hit that middle class, and so you may not have, you may still have Amazon, but if the middle class of online retail goes to Shopify, is that something that might change your mind about the opportunity for Shopify or that might make it make the short case less inviting? Well, one thing I'd like to emphasize, and maybe that's something that I was not very clear in emphasizing in my articles, I never mentioned that the Shopify revenue will be dropping. Mm-hmm. I never mentioned that. What I mentioned is that the number of customers will be dropping, and as a result of that, the Shopify revenue although it would be growing, and I'm saying that right now, the Shopify revenue will be growing, no doubt about it in my mind, because they're a good company, they're operating well, they have some very good competitive advantages that they have, so the revenue will be growing. But how much will it be growing by? Will it be growing by 50% per year for the next five years, as some analysts are anticipating? Or will it be growing by 5 to 10% per year for the next five years? And my anticipation is that the second one will be the more likely scenario because of a very simple reason that the market base is a vulnerable marketplace. The client that they are marketing to is a vulnerable marketplace that they have. So bottom line, if you're asking me if I believe that the Shopify revenue will be growing, yes, absolutely, it will be growing. But by what rate and will it justify the valuations that Shopify has? So just let me, if you don't mind, can I talk about the valuation of Shopify for a moment? Yeah, yes, of course. Please yeah. do. So, uh, so I'm just looking at the Shopify uh, valuation. The Shopify revenue right now is about half a billion dollars. And their capitalization is around $20 billion. Mm-hmm. So they are currently trading at 40 times the existing revenue. Right. So it's a, it's 40 a big times number. the existing revenue is is. Is insane, really, when you think about it. Just look at some other companies. For example, let's take Ford Motor Company. Yes, it might not have the growth potential, but Ford is around 40 billion, 40 billion capitalization. The company is profitable, distributing dividends at around 5% rate, which is extremely high. And at the same time, it has a number of employees that is abnormally higher than the number of employees that, that Shopify has. For example, Ford has the market capitalization of $40 billion, as I've mentioned, and they have 200,000 employees, not 4,000 employees. Just a comparison. Best Buy, another company, they have a capitalization equal to that of Shopify. Can you imagine Best Buy and Shopify have the same capitalization? One of them has 125,000 employees. They're profitable, distributing dividends, and they have revenue of $42 billion, not half a billion dollars. If I take Canadian Tire, Canadian Tire has 1,500 retail stores. They have... 58,000 employees. Their revenue is $12 billion. They're profitable. They're distributing dividends. And their capitalization is half the capitalization of Shopify. Yes, you can tell me they're different models. They have different growth potential and so on. But they're currently distributing dividends. And you have to remember that 70% of the return on investments in the stock market, 70% is coming through dividends, not share price appreciation. And when we take that into consideration, dividend today is worth much more than dividends that are expected to come within 10 to 20 years. So as a result of that, I think the capitalization for Shopify is insane. It's totally ridiculous. 40 times the current revenue does not make any sense to me whatsoever. And I have lots of concerns about people who are just buying the stock, hoping that this capitalization will result in future cash flows, because 
I don't expect that Shopify would be distributing dividends anytime soon. So that's and so let's get this is the because I think that you know and that's the cha- and for both Mike and I, for example, Mike and me, it was difficult to get our heads around the evaluation and even if we could have respect for the growth story. But I think this is what's interesting because you're not just saying this is a crazy number. I'm going to stay away from it. You're also taking a position. And so what I'm curious about, you you mentioned revenue growth, you think will be closer to five to 10% or, or 10 to 20% or whatever the number was. Over Maybe the 20%. I have no idea what the revenue growth is. Sure. And if someone tells you that they know that the revenue growth would be 50% or it would be 5% or it would be 10%, they're lying. We don't know what the market is. There's absolutely no way that someone would know what the future is holding for us. The future is a future. And the good thing about us as human beings is that we don't know what the future is. So whoever comes up with an estimate, they're just their best guess. And I'm telling you, based on my best guess, and I'm, the only thing I know about them, my best guess is that it's not accurate. I would expect that it will not be 50%. 50% from my perspective is very rich in terms of growth of revenue year over year for the next five years, which is what people are anticipating so that they can give us the valuation of 40 times the existing revenue. So what is, so I, right. And I don't want, I don't mean to pin you down to specifics per se, but I'm just curious about, for example, speaking with from growth to value earlier, his argument was that 20% was sort of, it wasn't a literal line in the sand, but 20% is when all of a sudden the growth story, if it drops below that, it looks less impressive as a growth story. And I guess I'm just curious, the valuation is very high. And at the same time, the company's Q1 revenue, I think, was something like 68% year over year. And I guess I'm just mm-hmm. curious how you're viewing as a catalyst or when are you... What are you looking for as far as when this short thesis might play out and how it plays out, given you've, you've said the company won't, you don't expect them to not to lose, to have revenue declines. I don't think they're, they're, they're negative free cash flow, but it's not as if they're hemorrhaging money, I don't think. No, they're not hemorrhaging money. They have lots of cash in the bank, and that's a huge blessing, actually, for Shopify. And it's a good thing for them, and I expect that they'd be acquiring other companies, and through the acquisition, the revenue might be growing, but not organically. People don't look at revenue growth through acquisition as much as they look at it from an organic perspective. When I was saying that it will will not be growing by 50% year over year, I was talking about the organic growth, not the growth through acquisition. I don't know the other person that you have talked to if they looked at 20% growth. 20% growth year over year for the next five years does not justify the 40 times revenue that we have right now. Just based on a very simple calculation, it does not justify it. What justifies it is around 50 times growth year over year. That will justify the 40 times revenue. Now, the question that you had was, what is the impetus that would make me think that my short thesis is coming to fruition? Is that your question? Or yeah, just what? So what are you looking for as a catalyst, or or how are you sort of thinking about this? And it's you know the stock has continued to rise, but and I understand mm-hmm. that short term is noise, but I'm just wondering how you, what makes you think that this is a better position to 
hold as a short rather than just to avoid because it's an expensive stock? I guess that's yes. that's what I'm I'm curious. Uh, well, the reason for that is that for first of all, the valuation itself is from my side is ridiculous, and whenever I see a company that has such a valuation, it makes me say that it's an opportunity for making money. So that's a good thing for me. That's why I'm holding a short position. And I have succeeded in doing that in a few other companies in the past, Canadian companies like Research in Motion, like Nortel as well. And both companies I've shorted, and I was successful in making money out of them. But that was a long time ago. Now, what would, make, what would be the impetus for the short thesis to come in fruition? Two things. One of them is if the number, number that they're disclosing, which is the number of clients, does not grow as much as they are anticipating year over year. So, so far, it has been growing up quite dramatically over the last two years. It jumped around 50% from 400 to 600,000. So that's a big jump. If for whatever reason in the next release, we find out that this particular number jumped from 600 to 620 or 630, that would tell me that the growth potential has been dropping quite significantly. And people, the analysts will take that into consideration in the valuation process. That's one thing. The other thing if Shopify, for whatever reason, they start disclosing the churn rate. And I think that if the analysts start pushing them for something like this, they will eventually disclose it. Once Shopify discloses the churn rate that they have, which my expectation will be in the range of 70 to 80%, and I think some other writers in Seeking Alpha, I think the name is Jean Barta, if I'm not mistaken, if uh, they go ahead and they come up with a churn rate that's consistent with what Jean Barta is saying, I think that this will result in a crashing of the stock price to a more reasonable level. Not crashing. Crashing might not be the right term. Dropping the stock price to a more reasonable level. Now, having said that, I'm not saying that Shopify will be losing money. They would still be profitable. But their valuation, their current valuation, the astronomical valuation that's happening will not continue. It cannot continue. It simply does not make sense for a company to be trading at 40 times revenue and expecting the growth to continue five years in a row at 50% growth per year. The likelihood of something like this happening means that there's lots of competition that will be coming into the market and this competition will eat market share from them. That's the basic 101 economics. If there's a very profitable business, competition will come into that business and it will start eating market share. That's the basic 101 economics. And if it is growing 50% per year, year over year, new competition will come in and will eat their market share. There is no company that can continue growing 50% year over year. Even Amazon has not been growing 50% year over year. How important is the, are you still holding a position in Wix as sort of, is a, are you viewing that as a pair trade or? I, I I'm still holding a, short, a long position in Wix. Does that sort of ease, because I, I'm, you know, for example, I pulled up the chart and it looks like actually Wix, despite shop, going up, Wix is actually outperforming Shopify since your first article. And so that probably makes, I would imagine that reduces the pressure to have that churn number disclosed or that client's number disclosed because actually, or change because actually you're do. it's not as if it's a open, you have some hedging involved because Wix is there. Is that fair? Uh, put it this way, uh, from my portfolio, I'm losing money out of uh, Shopify alone, but the overall portfolio is highly profitable at this point. Okay, interesting. So just to go back to your, you said clients was the key. Churn, I think, is understandable, but the clients, both of them actually are, are more based on the actual people using Shopify rather than the bottom line or top line numbers. Why do you think that those are the more important metrics that might catalyze a share price move as compared to 
revenue growth in and of itself? Uh, that's actually a very good question. I think that revenue growth will certainly have a factor, no doubt about it. But again, remember that in the revenue growth, people are anticipating a 50% growth year over year, which is extremely abnormally high to get the valuation that we have. I think that the revenue growth, if it drops as well below the 50%, for example, if in the next quarter we find out that it's growing only by 10%, or quarter over quarter, let's say it's growing by 5 or 6% quarter over quarter, that means on an annual basis it will be less than 50%. And if it's less than 50%, then in such a situation, the analyst will take note of that and they readjust their, their analysis and come up with a number that's different from the current valuation that we currently have. So I think both of them will go hand in hand. But again, the revenue is something that, that is very volatile and it changes, it can change dramatically from quarter to quarter depending on the economic status. Now remember, Shopify so far has not encountered any recession. And if it encounters a recession, my expectation is that a huge number of their client base will be going out of business because remember, their client base are dependent right now on impulsive buying. That's how they make their money. They put ads on Facebook or otherwhere, and people buy it from an impulsive perspective because of the low price, and they're claiming that they're giving 60% discount or something like this. That's how they are, they're making their money primarily. That's what it is. But once we have a recession, people will cut significantly on their impulsive buying habits, and the market share will be – their revenue stream will be dropping quite a lot. And I'm talking here about revenue, not just number of clients. Number of clients might not be dropping as much, but the revenue will be dropping quite a lot. That's why I'm not depending on revenue that much, because it's highly dependent on the economic situation more than anything else. I see what you're saying. So let me, you had mentioned Research in Motion, which now goes by BlackBerry. They, were you in a similar, I, 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 and look, I know this is only a few months, so I don't want to exaggerate, but. <laughs> that was many, many years ago. What, but was it, were you in a similar situation? Because that also sort of had a precipitous rise before it finally started to lose its momentum and then fall that off. That is correct. Did that you, is correct. Did you have to face a similar situation where BlackBerry went, were you holding the short position at a time where it was the stock was continuing to rise? Like, Did you have a fa- similar dynamic? Yes, and it was face? extremely painful at a certain point. It was very, very painful at a certain point. And at that time, I didn't have as much money as I had right now because I was just an employee. I, so I was not semi-retired as I am right now. But it was extremely painful. What helped me at that time is that I shorted RIM and longed Apple at the same time. Okay. At that time, I looked at Apple and looked at their operating system and their phones and so on. And I thought that Apple would be eating research and motion alive at that time. So I decided to buy Apple and short RIM. And it was a good decision at that time. So the growth of Apple helped me, helped me weather the pain that I got from the uh, increasing price of research and motion. So is that a typical strategy for you then, is to try to pair trade to... Uh, no, I have used it for uh, Research in Motion and Apple, and I've used it also for uh, Shopify and Wix, but I haven't used it for anything else. Interesting. Okay. And is that a common approach for you to actually... You, you said in the case of Apple and RIM, for example, you didn't say, I thought that the iPhone would outsell BlackBerry or whatever else you said that you like their technology. Is that similar to, is that a common approach for you to actually try to go into the underlying infrastructure as much as the financials? Uh, No, actually, as a matter of fact, I did not like the Apple 
operating system and how it was running. And I felt that Research in Motion was even better than Apple. Oh. But what I was concerned about was the direction of the market that the market was taking, where Research in Motion at that time, people who are using it were very much linked to the company that is providing it. Mm-hmm. And people wanted to have their own phones, which is the freedom I to use see. your own phone, either Android or whatever. And Research in Motion did not provide that. And at that time, I thought that the direction that Research in Motion is taking, which is not opening their operating system, was the wrong approach, and which now has been proven to be true. But that was the impetus for me to reshort uh, Research in Motion. Why did I long Apple at that time? Because Apple was the only competitor to Research in Motion at that point. That was the only reason. There was no other competitor at that time. Android had not picked up as much as Apple was. Okay, understood. Uh, is- the other companies that I shorted, which was very profitable for me, was, was Nortel. Right. Nortel was a company, at one point, it had as much capitalization as the five Canadian banks combined. And that's when I shorted it. And it was, I shorted it and I made some money and then I shorted it again and made some money and shorted it again and made some money. And when it dropped to around $5 or $10, I thought, well, you know what? The company is very low right now. Let me buy it. And I bought it and I lost some money because it went bankrupt. Right. Well, in North- so, uh, I, I'm, But in general, I made money out of Nortel. I'm less familiar with the details of Nortel, but there were... There were legal issues as well, right? Am I misremembering that? Uh, no, not not necessarily. Nortel, the problem that they had was that they were buying companies left, right, and center using their shares, and the companies that they were buying, they were failing miserably in, integra- in integrating them into the platform. I, I don't think it was as much legal issues as the strategy for the company for acquisition, which was uh, totally ridiculous at that time. I see. Okay. So is there anything that, you know, I've tried to and I believe we did the same thing on our call. I've tried to sort of stress test this thesis as far as concerns, and I, I think you've responded to them quite thoroughly. But is there anything that not keeps you up at night about this position, but anything you just think, oh, that's that's the one point I have to watch for? I understand on the positive side, from your perspective, you're watching for the clients, you're watching for the churn, but is there anything that you would make you think that, oh, maybe this is not the the right position or a- any other risks that you sort of see to your underlying position right now? Uh, actually, that's a very good co- question, and I was planning to talk about it. There's one issue in here that I'm not very clear about, about how it will go, which is the involvement in the weed sales in Canada. Okay. Because Shopify right now is having an agreement with the LCBO in Canada to sell the pot or cannabis, and I'm not entirely sure how that will play. That's the one thing. And how much additional revenue that will result, that will give Shopify. That's one point that I'm not entirely sure. The one thing I know about it is that 70% of the weed sales are done by daily users or semi-daily users. And these people put a lot of their budget into weed and they're extremely price sensitive. So will they buy from the government or will they continue buying from the existing dealers? That's something that I'm not entirely sure about. So that's an area that I'm not sure about, but however, having said that, compared to the, all the other areas that I've mentioned earlier, I'm not, does it keep me up at night? No, it does not keep me up at night. Okay. But I'm concerned about it personally because it's very unclear to me how it will play out. So do you think that is, because that's something you see in the comment streams quite a bit, and I still, I joined Seeking Alpha in 2012, and even then, pot stocks were still sort of a novelty but coming to the market and there's continual excitement and some of them have done very well is but it's still sometimes hard to size 
how real an opportunity that is. You you actually view it as something you don't know, but that could potentially emerge as a significant revenue opportunity for It Shopify. could be a good revenue opportunity or could be just uh, a storm in a, tea, uh, in a teacup. You know, I don't know exactly what it is. That's something that's totally unclear to me, and I don't think it's clear to anyone's mind at this point because no one will know how much the price would be. They claim that it will be $10 per gram. The market right now is selling it at $13 per gram. So how can they get it at $10? And what will the market do when they sell it at $10? And what about the taxation associated with that? And how can they sell remotely online and prove the, the age of the people, especially with the new conservative government coming in Canada right now, and they put some very strict controls associated with that. So all these are questions that are not yet answered. And will they allow the online sales of cannabis or not? And how will they allow it? What's the procedure for that? How much will be the shipping costs? All these things I don't know about, and knowing about them will put will give us the right will put us in the right position to make a decision. But right now, I don't have the answers to these questions. Okay. Well, that yeah, that's an interesting twist to the story. It'll be uh, interesting to see if it if it has a significant impact on either side of the either either side of the aisle. And another thing, uh, I think that most people are taking it as a positive thing in the valuation of Shopify. If it turns out to be not that significant as people are estimating, people are saying that it will add $8 billion of revenue to Shopify, which I think is a ridiculous number. But if it does not add up that much revenue to uh, Shopify, then I think the valuation will be severely uh, dropped as a result of that. So... Maybe maybe my last question then is, and then if you have anything else that you're sort of interested in sharing, feel free. But I'm curious, what's your sort of time frame for this in terms of how we've talked about five years, you expect the revenue growth rates to slow, whether or not we pin you to a number. But what what sort of, how are you thinking about that when you're in your portfolio? When are you sort of expecting just generally, how long do you think that this might need to play out either way? Well, as long as the Wix prices are going up and the Shopify prices are going up, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm right. not hurt, really. Uh, so I'm not worried about that. And cash at this point is not an issue. So I can cover my short position with cash at any time. But I would expect personally that within a year, things will start panning out. And if the analysts push Shopify enough to disclose the number that everyone is looking for, then once the numbers are disclosed, the analyst will be reviewing their position in a more realistic manner and the prices will drop. So I don't know how much the analyst will be pushing Shopify to disclose the numbers that they have, but we need additional disclosures so that we can have a proper position of what Shopify is. Right now, there are so many questions than there are answers at this point related to Shopify. Okay. Well, that's that, that'll be great. I hope maybe we'll have to do another another round of interviews a year from now and we'll see where the how this plays out and i, I mean it's an, it, did you realize that shopify would be such a hot topic did you think that there would be so many people interested in the conversation and, and then the both bulls and bears on it when you started writing about it no i did not i certainly did not and at that time i thought that people would be focusing more on wix rather than shopify because I think that Wix has a very, very good potential out there in the market. But uh, I didn't expect that people will be... The one thing I was not surprised about is how much people are passionate about Shopify. Right. That was something that was... Uh, if that's the kind of following that Shopify has, that's a very positive thing for Shopify. Right. 
So that would be a very positive thing, the kind of following that they have. People believe in it so much, much more than I had ever expected. And that I consider the very positive thing for Shopify. But again, there are other negative things that, that, uh, that balance it somehow. Well, and something I find from working at Seeking Alpha, and this is not meant to be pejorative, but I think sometimes when you have people who associate with a company, they do, that's become so hoarse with blinders that sometimes they do miss what's going wrong with a company. And then once the story does turn, it turns fast. And so that would be, that would be how I would sort of put the inverse of that into the investment analysis that when there's so many people who are immediately jumping on any uh, opposing views, that's also a concern. So that's something, you know, I don't know where Shopify goes from here, but that's something I would just for Daniel, I wholeheartedly agree with the last statement that you have made. Yeah. So, okay, well, great. This is, this is fantastic. Rami, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your views. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I wish you luck with it. And, I hope we'll be able to touch base sometime in the future and see with more clarity on what happens to Shopify either way. Certainly. Time will only tell. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you, sir. Norway. My pleasure, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. We've had one bull and one bear take, and we'll get into a final bear take in a moment. I just wanted to give a quick plug to Seeking Alpha Essential before we start. Seeking Alpha Essential is our broadest subscription product and gives you access to our archive of investment research. You're getting to hear bulls and bears discuss Shopify and their views on the stock on today's podcast. Essential is like that times thousands of stocks. You can read the different views authors have had over time, as well as the comments from readers, which are often as sharp or sharper than the original work, and transcripts from the company over time. It's your personal library and cliff notes for just about any stock you might be interested in. So if you're interested in Seeking Alpha Essential and in making your research more complete, check it out at seekingalpha.com pro. Now to our last interview with Jan Barda. The disclosure for this section, Jan is short shop. Welcome to the third part of our Behind the Idea interview series on Shopify. Our next guest is Jan Barta, a private investor and entrepreneur and the founder of Absurd Research. He's written two recent articles arguing that Shopify has high churn, is going to be hit hard by Facebook, and has deteriorating merchant quality. So it sounds like he has a strong opinion on the stock. With that said, welcome on, Jan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, uh, Daniel, for inviting me. So before we even get into the specifics of Shopify, what I'm curious about is just how you would describe your investing style? What 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 sorts of positions do you take? What sorts of stocks do you invest in? Just what's your what's the broader context for why you're taking this position in Shopify? Well, I guess my general classification would be would be a value uh, investor, and I also like you know special situations or taking contrarian bets, which is the case of Shopify. I often you know I'm often short as well. So, so that's how I would generally class my investing style. So, how much does Shopify is the? I I, I see you had one article on Seeking Alpha a couple of years ago, but Shopify is sort of the stock you've written about the most recently. How much does that stand out from other short ideas? Like, what what has led you to write more about Shopify than any other short idea you might have currently or in recent past? 
Well, uh, you know, the, the, the main catalyst was, uh, was the fact that I actually had a short position on uh, for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the stock has run up remarkably uh, from the beginning of the year as well. So, so I was actually quite in the hole on my uh, trade. So I thought, you know, <laughs> it's about time I add, add something to the, to the short argument. And that, and that was like the catalyst I decided to, to actually publish this research uh, I, had, uh, I put out. So what brought you first to sort of walk me through what brought you first to Shopify is what was your original thesis? What what was sort of the process there? Well, essentially, Citron uh, research came out with uh, with the short notes when they, you know, really questioned who are the merchants on the platform that, you know, Shopify likes to talk about, you know, the big name signing up. But, you know, probably the hundreds of thousands of the other merchants Citron indicated are of very low quality, are, you know, drop shippers that are peddling items from AliExpress with, you know, a huge markup, using Facebook to uh, Facebook marketing to, to sell these products. And he also, you know, mentioned that, you know, the churn, uh, there's a, you know, very likely high churn uh, in the client base. But here, uh, Citron didn't really have, you know, the hard data to, to back up the claims he was making. Whereas, you know, the, in the research that I published, it's clearly backed on, you know, the hard data. I came up with, you know, a very novel approach of analyzing the zone file of VeriSign, of the, dot, the dot .com zone file that VeriSign maintains. And we basically started observing, uh, you know, the domains uh, that are hosted by Shopify. We started uh, looking at the domains that used to be hosted by Shopify and the domains that start to be hosted by Shopify. And based on this field research, we built up, you know, the, the short case that I published. So let me, one of the things I think with Shopify that's interesting is that there's a, it's a question of where do you look? What should be most important? And so you're focusing, by doing that analysis, I take two, two key implications are that you think that the number of merchants that are successful is an important metric to, to focus on. And also that the, it, obviously that churn is a major issue. And what I wanted to ask is, in theory, you could, you could, for example, say that it doesn't matter how many people are on Shopify as long as they have enough winners and as they continue to grow more winners. And you could also... Ultimately, their revenue is what matters, and so I'm just curious what what what's your case that that it, did, did I understand yes. applications and then yes. what's your case? Well, the, that uh, the 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 bull case is that you know it, the churn doesn't really matter because the bull argument is that the churn doesn't really matter as long as you know you have winners that start generating significantly more revenues than the initial cohort of the customers you acquired, right? But I believe that's not really true because. Uh, I think the Shopify model is really heavily built on acquiring a huge amounts of very low quality merchants that that churn off in huge quantities. You know, our research showed that we uh, that you know the new the new clients, uh, the new customers Shopify signs up. We think that 80 percent of them are dead after year one or at year one, and then you know probably another. Of, of these surviving the first year, probably another, you know, 60% of these survivors turn off in year two, you know. So Shopify has, has had a lot of runway with its stock because everybody's classing it as, you know, a software as a service platform. 
and and comparing it to you know other uh, other companies you know like Salesforce or whatever. But the issue is that you know typical comps in the SaaS space they have very long customer lifetimes you know say five to ten years. But we believe Shopify is somewhere around you know. 14, 15 months, and as our just most recent article of the deteriorating quality of the new merchants, we think actually the, the customer lifetimes of the new signups are, are, are going lower. So that's why we think the churn argument is super important, because if you look at you know uh, the revenue or, or when you look at the gross margin that, you know, say a cohort of clients signed up a year ago in a certain month. Uh, we also, in our research, show that it's very likely that the gross margin of this cohort declines over time because uh, the mix of the revenue from these customers changes. The amount, uh, the percentage of subscription revenue, of subscription solutions revenue goes down and merchant services revenue goes up. But the problem with the merchant services revenue is that it has a much, much smaller gross margin than subscription services revenue. So... What is sustaining then, in your view, you know, Shopify, I'm sure they're, they're probably going to report Q2 results relatively soon, but last year they had 73% revenue growth rate year over year. This year, they're, the Q1, they were at something like 68%, and we can, we'll get into sort of valuation and what the market's thinking about in a second, but it's clear that revenue is, a, is the literal major headline story for Shopify. So, what what is are is is the argument that this is driven by these sort of poor quality new merchants who are just going to turn off, or or is it just that the market is overweighting it because like what what is what pick that apart a little bit? What's what's going on with the revenue? Yeah. Well, essentially, first look at the revenue mix. You know. Uh, 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 merchant services revenue is now the majority of Shopify's revenue, mm-hmm. uh, and subscription revenue share as a percentage of revenue is decreasing. But you know, on the subscription services revenue, uh, Shopify has I don't know a high seventy percent uh, gross margin, but in the in the merchant services revenue, it's like forty-ish, forty-ish uh, percent. The second thing, you know, we think essentially Shopify is nearing a point where the amount of the amount of new customers it signs up is going to start equaling the amounts of customers that churn off, and so we think that especially the subscription services revenue part is is going to plateau more and more uh, uh, over the next quarters. You know, so if in you know in uh, Q1 Shopify reported 61% growth in the subscription services revenue segment. We think in Q2, this is going to decelerate, decelerate to something like low 50%, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and we think this, this deceleration will continue, continue to increase. And this is like the most valuable revenue Shopify has because it has like a high 70% gross margin, you know. Well, and that's presumably the recurring revenue too, which is what the yes, yes. software as a service, what people get excited about. So yes. yes. Back back away from the the story for a second. What would make Shopify? You're you're arguing that they're really trying. Like, what is the strategy for Shopify then? If they are 
in your view, and and I understand, you know, obviously you're on the other side of the trade and whatever. But what 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 makes you what would you think leads Shopify to want this sort of lower quality merchant on their platform? What what, what would be the reason for that? Well, you know, if to get into the heads of Shopify management, I think they're doing actually a lot of things right. You know, because the the market is you know quite crazy uh, tech valuations are soaring it sort of re- resembles you know uh, the year 2000 so it seems that you know the market is rewarding top line growth a lot at the moment so shopify management i think are doing uh, the most to show the most top line growth and where i actually see shopify being smart is that uh, they've actually been raising uh, a lot of cap- straight up equity capital. You know, they've tapped since their IPO, they've, you know, tapped the public markets for like $1.5 billion. And they can basically, you know, keep this money for the period when, uh, you know, sh- uh, valuations turn or, or use this money for, you know, further acquisitions uh, where they can arbitrage, uh, where they can kind of arbitrage their, their multiples. So I think what is especially smart is that Shopify is raising money now, although it doesn't need the money at all, you know, because, uh, you know, the cash burn, the cash burn isn't, isn't significant, but, you know, Shopify management is basically thinking, you know, we have this crazy valuation now, why don't we, you know, sell some, you know, issue more stock, bring in some money. And if, you know, valuations, you know, correct in the future, we still have this money, you know, that's interesting. And, 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 I want to come back to sort of that low cash burn situation and Shopify being potentially smart from a corporate finance perspective to raise cash and so forth. But before I do, I wanted to touch on two other points, one directed from your thesis and then one that I don't think you touch on as much, but that I'm curious about. So the Facebook angle, I know that was something that Citron, for example, in their second report talked about Facebook in light of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and all that issues. And we're recording this right after Mark Zuckerberg gave another interview. And it seems like the, the I, I have not listened to the interview, but I've read some reporting about it. And it sounds like there's still a lot, a sense that Facebook isn't changing as much as they would want people to think as far as addressing their challenges. And so I'm curious what your, if you could just sort of restate your, your view on the Facebook angle and then just how that, how likely things are to change or what, what sort of Shopify's exposure is there? Yes. So what, what we wrote about in our first report uh, was basically that a lot of the GMV that, that Shopify generates comes through Facebook advertising. So a lot of these, you know, Shopify merchants, generate their revenues by buying, you know, large quantities of Facebook or Instagram advertising. And what Facebook has historically, you know, taken, you know, I would say a sort of more shorter term view than say Google, etc. in in the sense that it's more ruthless in maximizing, uh, maximizing its revenue, even taking in account that this could bring, you know, some future future damage. So, for example, Facebook hasn't really looked at that much about, you know, the experience shoppers are having by buying items through these low quality uh, Shopify merchants, you know, that are often drop shipping items from China that take, you know, you know, a month or two to arrive and have, you know, very low quality. But I think uh, uh, Facebook or uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, a few months ago uh, uh, ran a story about how 
basically Facebook is going to is starting to ask its users about the experience of shopping at these shops that were buying ads in its Facebook feed. And it's going to basically start punishing stores that have, you know, low quality reviews from from Facebook customers. And I think this could have, and it obviously depends how strong Facebook is going to penalize these, these low quality stores, because obviously in the short term, it could have some negative revenue impact for Facebook. But I think, you know, even Facebook realizes that they have to start doing this because otherwise, in the long term, they risk that the click rates in, uh, you know, their advertising fees will go down because people will be like less trusting of clicking on Facebook ads. So that's why I think Facebook is doing this cleanup of its, uh, of its advertising feed, which we believe could affect uh, Shopify significantly. Okay, so let's get back into the mechanics of the, the short case itself, because I think it's, you know, for us, for example, when we reviewed the original articles on the stock, we kind of came away thinking, yeah, it's kind of hard to justify the valuation, but at the same time, it's hard to get in the way of this in this market. You never know what what might happen. And so what might question to you is what's the what's the catalyst in your story you had mentioned sort of subscription revenue declining is that the specific catalyst or what do you what are you expecting for the short case to kind of work i yeah i think there's going to be a remarkable slowdown in the subscription service uh, revenue in the foreseeable foreseeable future based on the fact that it's going to be increasingly more complicated to add more merchants than the amounts of merchants Shopify is losing. So that's, uh, that's definitely one. Uh, I also think if Shopify will want to keep growing as much as possible, the, uh, the sales and marketing spend as a percentage of gross margin or uh, as a revenue will, will continue to stay very high. And, uh, you know, Sometime in the next quarters, I think, you know, it will become obvious and more people uh, will realize that there is, you know, no operating leverage in the model or very limited operating leverage in the model. And I think at that point, when this becomes more well known, I think the stock uh, stock will uh, will re-rate. Obviously, you have other things that can come in, you know, like uh, the uh, the Facebook effect, if, you know, Facebook starts going after, you know, low quality stores, advertising uh, in its feed, you know, on a, on a large scale, that could have a significant impact on or, or slow down the merchant services revenue uh, component of the of the revenue. So that could be another catalyst. Uh, you know, uh, also we've been following, you know, the the increase on uh, in the amounts of money uh, Shopify has advanced its merchants in its sort of like Shopify capital division. And uh, in the first quarter, they reported that the amount of cash advances is like something like sixty-one million dollars, and that amount tripled from the the year ago period. So it could be, you know, if if this number starts significantly increasing, it basically could show that, you know, Shopify is taking the route of becoming a payday payday lender, uh, providing uh, pro- providing uh, Shopify customers with 
with very high interest loans in you know the 30 40 50 percent uh, APR APR range and we also thought we also wrote about in our report that you know in a, in a case when some of the stores start being hit by changes in Facebook advertising or you know even if the economy could deteriorate this could end up being you know quite a toxic uh, loan portfolio so I think there are multiple things another thing that could be a catalyst is reform to the sort of e-packets uh, program of the you know between the US postal service and China which enables Chinese merchants can ship to the US smaller items up to I think two kilograms for something like you know a dollar or two which is insanely low and I think it really you know exploits the US postal service because the the traffic is really one way and you know the last mile we know how much you know the last mile delivery costs etc so I think you know the US postal services could be losing you know significant money on this program and with you know Donald Trump you know, that's because of his, also because of his hatred of Amazon. He's, you know, ordered people to look into the U.S. Post Service. So I think, you know, if this, uh, the shipping rates from China to the U.S. would go up, it would affect the dropshippers on uh, on the Shopify platform. And so so there are quite a few, few catalysts, I think. So let's go the other direction. What what concerns you the most about your thesis? In, t- in other words, what, what would give you the most... If a year from now it wasn't working, what what might be the cause of that, or what what would sort of possibly make you be wrong in this in this thesis? Yes. Um, well, essentially, I think that I'm a little bit afraid that that Shopify could start showing a lot of profitability in the Shopify capital segment mm-hmm. by markedly increasing the amount of loans that they are making or cash advances that they are making to the merchant base because currently they have something like 60 million dollars of uh, of funds advanced and i think or uh, that they are actually you know the, the APRs of this money they are advancing is somewhere in the range of 30 to 50% so they are making you know a lot of interest on these loans they are making and actually i think that the big increase in in the amount of uh, outstanding cash advances has really helped Shopify improve its uh, merchant services revenue margins over the recent quarters. So that's where they could be showing some decent short-term profitability. Profitability, But on the other hand, as this becomes known, I think you know uh, investors would tend to re-rate this kind of revenue uh, much to a much, much less because you know now Shopify is like on 18 times this year's revenue or 17 times this year's revenue, and I doubt you know investors would be willing to put like this higher multiple on basically you know sort of payday cash advance type of uh, type of revenue. So that's one thing. I think they could also being like a uh, a DSP where they would start taking a cut on some of the advertising their merchant base is making hmm. could become uh, a relatively decent decent source of revenue. And I would admit that probably on the merchants that are longer on the platform, Shopify uh, will definitely have some kind of pricing power uh, when it comes to you know the the service fees or the uh, that these merchants pay. So they're they're I think on on the merchants that are sort of you know are working well and have functional businesses, I think they could raise pricing uh, the monthly fees. 
So there could be, you know, some some upside there. So these are roughly, you know, the three things. And obviously, uh, another another one would be since they have, you know, so much cash on the balance sheet now because, you know, they tap the tap the public markets so many times since their IPO, they could make some acquisitions uh, where they would be arbitraging their their high current high multiple. For example, in our first article, we wrote, you know, that we think Square bought Weebly for something like, you know, four times revenue. So compare that to, you know, the the 18 times, 17, 18 times revenue uh, Shopify is at now, you know. So if they could identify potential potential acquisitions like that and make them happen, they could, you know, arbitrage their multiple. And then I think, you know, uh, very remote cases. Completely remote cases is you know somebody acquiring Shopify, that would obviously be a you know huge threat to all the shorts in the in the stock now. But I think that that possibility is so remote with how the, the valuation is so high currently uh, uh, that I don't think it's uh, it's likely at all. So let me maybe come to uh, sort of a last question about the about the valuation and about the context we're in. You mentioned. You at some point pointed you compared the current climate to two thousand and whether or not whether or not that's the precise metaphor, there's certainly stocks. Netflix just sold off but is still at quite a healthy multiple of yeah. re- revenue and earnings and, and doesn't have free cash flow, et cetera. And there are lots of other companies that you could point to and say that that's a crazy stu- crazy multiple, an absurd multiple, if you will. I, and that was what I I didn't realize that Shopify had such sort of a debate around it when we first covered it. But Shopify is is an example, but it's not the only one. And I guess what I'm curious about is how much you think there's no I, there's no telling how much longer the current climate will continue. It could be that it goes on for quite a while. You know, there's that that's a broader bull and bear debate but how much do you think the market will be able to distinguish like how much do you need the context to change where the market does finally say all right this is crazy wayfair for example i I read somewhere that it's doubled in the last two and a half months and their business hasn't changed so if you have stocks like that happening like is do you is your thesis do you think your thesis can play out without the mar- market waking up and saying okay this is kind of crazy about for a broader selection of stocks or do you think the market will be able to say specifically shopify your multiple is too high yeah. we need to start selling like how are you looking at that yeah uh i think the thesis can awaken even with the market completely correcting over the next quarters but you know at the point when the market cracks, which you know is just a matter uh, matter of time, I think the, st- the you know the the stock will will completely collapse. So uh, that's roughly the answer I would uh, I would say. And the cat uh, and I mentioned the catalysts. What, what will make you know the re-rating of the stock happen? And you know when the market starts correcting, uh, investors will finally start questioning the quality and the sustainability of the revenues and the gross margins Shopify is generating, which they are not to, to, uh, that much at the uh, uh, at the current times we are in now. Okay. Okay. Well, um, it will be interesting. I mean, it is interesting. 
I I was a teenager during the the 2000 era and wasn't paying super yep. close attention. So it's interesting to be going through this again at potential similar climate and to see what's changed, what's the same, and and sort of how things are playing out. So um, yeah, yeah, I was a teenager as well, but I already followed the stock market uh, uh, stock market a little bit then, so I sort of remember the story. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is that uh, you know this can potentially go on for another year, but it can possibly end, you know, next week as well, you know. So it's sort of like musical chairs now. Is there anything you're doing to protect your position or protect your portfolio in the event that this continues for another year or two years or? Not really, not really. I have, you know, uh, I have some pair trades to my, to my shorts, you know, in this, you know, for example, I think it's quite okay to be long, you know, Alphabet or, or Apple, which are not, you know, trading at completely crazy, you know, multiples. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I have some of these pair trades, uh, pair trades on uh, to offset, you know, uh, some some of the some of the shorts. So, so that's the only thing I'm doing pretty much now. But I have a very serious, you know, very large short bias in my portfolio now. Okay, great. All right. Thank you so much, Jan. I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, Thank you, Daniel. Be- Take care. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this long take on Shopify. Have any other stocks you want us to go deep on? Tweet us at at DanielSeekinga or at mbrooks-taylor or email us at mtaylor at seekingalpha.com or daniel at seekingalpha.com. We have a few interesting topics lined up for the summer, including follow-ups with some of our favorite authors, investigations of tech giants, and special guests. Check out Behind the Idea wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for your support, and see you next week on Behind the Idea. Don't cut the